Hey everybody, welcome back to the Silicon Sasquatch podcast, uh, episode something of season something or other. I think we're calling it three. Uh, I'm Nick Cummings, I'm joined here today by Aaron Thayer. Hello everybody. And we are here because we played a game, a very, very special game with a lot leading up to it, and it bummed us the hell out, <laughs> and we wanted to talk about it. Kind of just air our grievances and move on with our lives. So that game is Assassin's Creed 3, and uh, Aaron, it was not really what we we were hoping for, was it? No, and um, just for context, I literally finished the plot um, about half an hour-ish before we started recording this, so it's still very fresh in my mind, and it certainly was a letdown. It's a very interesting bookend to this part of the series that... Um, for those who remember, when it came out, the the first game in 2007 was kind of controversial to begin with, and just, this seems like kind of a shitty game. Then we had some great ones, and now we have another shitty one. So it leaves me feeling hopeless a little bit. Hopeless for the series, or for these big franchises in general, or, or what do you what do you mean? I would say both, actually. Uh, primarily the franchise itself. Uh, I know that there is the handheld liberation um, with a different protagonist, uh, Evelyn, I believe her name is, and mm -hmm. that maybe has some new avenues. I haven't tried that one at all, but the main games, um, after having a yearly sequel after Assassin's Creed 2, uh, two of the games before 3, for those who did play them, they'll know that was Ezio, who was a fantastic main character, but... With this whole transition to this Connor guy and the Desmond storyline, which we'll get into, and um, I suppose we should make it known ahead of time that there's going to be a lot of spoilers involved in this recording. Yes. It just seems like the whole series has hit a low note, and it doesn't live up to the uh, expectations that I think all of us had after we played Assassin's Creed 2, because that was still, and um, at the time and now, is a fantastic game. Very, very great game. Yeah, I think that's what makes this final entry in the trilogy so uh, kind of disappointing, especially in light of the fact that, like, the first game, you know, was ambitious and flawed, heavily flawed, but did some really interesting stuff and tried some very difficult new things that hadn't been done before. It felt next-gen at the time in a way that very few games on the 360 or PS3 did. Exactly. And two took all that and did a really good job, a really meticulous job of over the next two years, polishing up the stuff that didn't work well and refining the stuff that really did and delivering what was a, a lengthy, very satisfying, very engaging and interesting historical fiction game. Like AC2 was awesome. Right. I think it's fair to say. So the fact that we've seen since that time, three games in the series come out in the main canonical storyline to see just a, a total dip off between the Ezio storyline and the resolution of Desmond's overarching narrative uh, in AC3 was uh, kind of shocking. Mm -hmm. They could have just not changed anything, I feel like, in the mechanics, in the storyline, in the um, just general direction of everything. And it would have been an okay game. But the things that they did change and the things that they carried over disappointed me in a way that I didn't know it was possible. And um, we'll get into all that, I'm sure. But the way I'm coming into this discussion is with the mindset that... I, I think I said this a few days ago when I finished the game, but... I don't think I've ever finished a more disappointing, poorly realized game in my life. And I kept playing because I was just so fascinated by how they had managed to take something I loved and just through a very complicated series of decisions and uh, implementations, just kind of trash it. So you're saying it was kind of like a train wreck that you couldn't not watch? 
uh, yeah, I had to keep watching. I had, to, in fact, I had to do everything. I had to do all the story missions, all the side missions, all the naval missions. Fully upgraded my ship, which, by the way, was a badass ship by the end <laughs> of those de- that that game. But I, I don't know about you, but I, I felt like I kept digging because I felt like there had to be something redeeming in there. I would concur. I don't know the last time that I played a game, um, and the side missions, specifically the ship, like you mentioned, the Aquila, I think it was, yeah. and that was far more satisfying than any of the main story content I played, and to maybe start us off in the discussion of this, so the, the game opens, and it opens on somebody that you didn't know was going to be a main character. You're playing as Connor's father except you don't know that at the time. So you're playing this guy who is seemingly an assassin who's trying to find out information. He assassinates somebody in an opera house in London, makes his escape. Uh, you then end up on a ship headed to America, and then there's a little initial twist of, oh, yeah, well, he's actually a Templar. So that starts out well enough, but after that, I don't know about you, Nick, but the rest of the game just did not make much sense. And it's a shame because, like you said, most of the games have been these great uh, historical pieces that even if it's an action title, you're still learning something about history because they're usually pretty spot on. This one, though, just seems so up its own ass with the plot and the setting. Yeah, you know, we have, I have disappointment with how the game mechanics played out and how the whole thing was designed. But the fact that the narrative didn't really cohere, especially around the main character of Connor, I think speaks volumes about how big of a misstep this game was for the series, Mm -hmm. because that was always the the central thing. Like the Ezio trilogy had a very strong central character who developed really well over the course of each individual game and also his entire three game arc. Right. And I actually really liked the intro to AC3 because of that bait and switch. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know anything about Haytham being a main character. I love the opera house setting, how I think it really did a good job of establishing we are in uh, the 1700s now. We're no longer in Renaissance Italy. Mm -hmm. And, um, it did a really good job of pulling me into this new, convincing me that this is the right step forward. Yeah. Uh, that the Revolutionary War makes sense for the series. And I really enjoyed that part. And once you get to the new world, you kind of get back into the rote, follow me and have a conversation missions and maybe stab this guy in the neck. And, you know, that, that was kind of dull for a while. And then there was a big twist of, hey, guess what? Haytham's actually a Templar. And he's leading the Templars into the new world to uh, try to conquer America, basically cool twist mm-hmm. and then you jump into connor's shoes and um i, I kind of want to spend a little time talking about how they build that character sure so haytham is a templar holy shit then we take a step back and in the course of the missions with haytham he befriends um one of the uh native american tribes specifically uh one person in them uh, i forget her name but basically they uh they they start doing the makeout thing in a in a cave which is um the the cave has some significance to the story it doesn't really matter but basically like the first civilization prothean whatever they're called built a thing there and Hatham's like crap i want to open this door and she's like oh that's too bad that you can't and then they conceive a child right so that child is uh connor uh he has a different name at birth i cannot pronounce it i apologize but he goes by connor and uh basically the the game introduces you to him as a child and uh, there's some little games you play as as sort of means of a tutorial on how to like stalk animals, climb trees, all that stuff. And uh, I would say that this is it's kind of a more slow moving introduction to the character than I've ever seen in the series. It took a couple hours for me to get out of the out of the forest and into the you know the adult Connor portion. Mm-hmm. But there was a you know a big opportunity there to really flesh out this guy's character as more than just a Native American who wants to protect his people and to prevent 
them from being exploited by the settlers. And it really boiled down to a very rote kind of revenge mission, mm-hmm. from my point of view. There's very little done to establish the people in this in, in his settlement. It's all about his character and him trying, you know, him losing his mother early in the game and then saying, I need to stop Charles Lee from killing everybody because he's an asshole, which is true. <laughs> but that's, to me, that's the entire extent of Connor's character. There's very little pent-up aggression about his father being a Templar. Right. It's just kind of a flat character. I mean, would you agree with that? Oh, I would totally agree. And in you talking about that as giving um, another perspective on this, this idea I had while playing, I feel like Connor which it, uh, just so we have this here for posterity's sake, his native name is Radun Hagedum. So okay. there you go. Um, so he is essentially, and follow me here, it's like Star Wars plot. He's kind of, his attitude is the Anakin of the prequels. He's this whiny little chosen child, kind of a douche, honestly. Um, as a child, yeah, he goes through a lot of stuff and his mother is killed and like you're saying, that kind of fuels his rage going forward. But Haytham, his dad, and his mother, it's like the Darth Vader and Padme coming together, and then they bore Luke Skywalker out of this. It's just, the more I look at that, it's almost as bad as the Star Wars prequels, just with the plot. It, it makes no sense, aside from the revenge, like you said, and it really is a lost opportunity to have that reconnection with his father, to test the theories. They kind of go back and forth verbally uh, throughout a few missions once they meet up when Connor's older. Uh, surprisingly, they don't just kill each other right away, but they work together a little bit because there's this other convoluted aspect where the Templars aren't actually working with the Crown. They're just trying to free America, yet Connor is with the Patriots, except the Patriots are kind of not good guys because they want to kill his village. All this stuff that sounds boring as I describe it because it really doesn't make sense. But yeah, they missed a lot of opportunities. The promise of having that twist in the beginning uh, where Haytham is a Templar and you don't know that and kind of back a couple of games before in Assassin's Creed 2, the uh, promise that they made and that end reveal of this whole first civilization with Minerva, Juno, these type of gods who are now uh, speaking to us from the future or uh, the past, excuse me, that was a cool concept to go, oh, that kind of explains all this weird technology stuff and this battle, just like this whole Haytham being Connor's dad and actually a Templar sets up the third game. But the third game kind of failed on both uh, promises. The whole first civilization plot, which we can get more into, is dumb, for lack of a better word. And the, the Haytham aspect, it kind of just ends with them fighting. Connor, of course, wins, kills his dad. And then that's it. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the two separate character resolutions with Connor and uh, Desmond. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that they, they both arrive at about the same time, which makes sense because, you know, the game has to end. But let's talk about Connor first, and then I think we should go to Desmond because Desmond's kind of, I think, more complicated yeah. thing to talk about. So Connor does a lot of work as an assassin, you know, trains with uh, Achilles, who is a pretty good character with, a you know, who could have used a little bit more backstory, I think. Uh-huh. They hint at it nicely, but I don't really think that they really deliver on it. So Connor... Trains as an assassin, tries to align with the Patriots, mostly because they're the ones who he thinks are most likely to uh, let his people go free. Right. The game shoehorns Connor awkwardly into, and maybe this is just because I'm more familiar with American history, growing up in America, taking classes in it and stuff, than I am with, like, let's say the Renaissance, uh, Italy, and... Um, Istanbul that you see in the Ezio arc. Mm-hmm. But the way that they put Connor into these really famous battles, like 
uh, Bunker Hill and all. The, it's just it feels like it's a very deliberate attempt to try and say, look, we 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 know history and like this is stuff you guys know. So yeah. let's just make Connor the uh, the catalyst for these battles being won or lost. And uh, what that boils down to is running around in some pretty poorly scripted missions, killing a few dudes, a couple of very few actually, but a couple opportunities to do a stealth kill on a boss character, like a main person who. You do the thing where you stab them, they fall on the ground, go slow motion, the world dissolves, and they tell you why you're wrong, and then they die. <laughs> Ezio made this awesome by saying Requiescat in Pache, which is like, fuck yeah, I know Latin. <laughs> Connor does something similar, but it's not as cool. Anyway, this is the entire game. This is like the 20 hours or so that you've played. You reach the end, and like uh, Aaron just said, Connor arrives at a confrontation with Hatham after a kind of off and on, like kind of like a casual, like a friendly rivalry, where they keep talking about, you know, how they're... They share values, but, like, Hatham and Sis Connor is completely wrong about signing with the Assassins. I thought that there was potential for something really interesting to happen there, either with Hatham or with Connor. Absolutely. Where, like, the bonds of, like, whatever tenuous um, familial ties there might have led them to do something different. Maybe they would have both opposed Charles Lee. And, no. Connor just straight up murders Hatham. And I felt really shitty doing that as a player, because it was like, this is... But mostly because Hatham is a much more interesting, charming character. He's kind of got that... Uh, Swarthy. He has like a silver tongue. Yeah, yeah. Kind of more Ezio-like, actually. Right. Connor is just like this, no, I must do this my way. And it felt flat to me. And he's not even that young by the time the game is over, so he still acts like a child throughout the whole thing. Yeah. And that's that's what bothered me is I don't mind that they kind of shifted the focus of the plot more on Connor um, and his struggles with being half Native American, half English, slash son of a Templar master. Um, that, like you're saying, could have been a really cool plot, but they absolutely didn't do anything with that. And then it also failed in the sense that if they didn't explore that avenue, I never really felt like Connor was this master assassin, um, or it wasn't explained well why he wasn't, like you were with Ezio or even Altair. Uh, in the later games, when you revisit Altair uh, as he's aging, and same with Ezio, both of those characters are really cool from a gameplay perspective because they become the leaders of that organization, and you feel uh, empowered and progressive in owning land or a castle or whatever, improving it, making money off of that. Whereas in Assassin's Creed Three, sure, you're perhaps supposed to not be the uber end all be all and it's a more focused narrative on just this one guy connor but they didn't do that very well either so they tried to change perhaps the the way that the story was told but they didn't do a good job of doing that it just felt overloaded by all the side missions and the plot and like you said shoehorning him into history and historical battles they all seemed underwhelming and just pointless really yeah, it felt like the trappings of the series were almost like an inconvenience to the people making the game. Yeah. Like you said, Connor doesn't really become the master assassin. He doesn't really rekindle an assassin's guild. You can still recruit people and send them on missions, and that's arguably pretty well realized, but mm -hmm. it felt like it was just a retreading of the old series there, and the characters themselves didn't have much definition. So I guess it was a story about the Revolutionary War more than a story about Connor, and that's that's a break from tradition for the series. Like, Altair had a very strong presence throughout the first four games, even. Mm -hmm. There are sequences where you see him or play as him in uh, all of them. Uh, I don't think you play as him in two or uh, Brotherhood, but definitely in one in Revelations. Right. And that seems to be the strength, and you and I were talking about this before we, we were recording, and I, I honestly think that the series itself is 
strong as is the protagonist. So Altair served his purpose in the first game, which I still really enjoyed uh, when it came out because of that whole crazy what's with this genetic memory kind of Lamarckian thing and um, where can this go? It's very sci-fi and yet historically accurate in many ways. It's It was fresh a uh, fresh take and Altair himself didn't need to really be that interesting because we were all so enamored with that original setting because it was brand new. And then they did the right thing in Assassin's Creed 2 and then the side games of having a stronger protagonist like Ezio because that newness wore off, but they also made the strongest games off of the back of Ezio and, uh, like you've said, his his charming uh, attitude. And then 3, I don't know if they really, the developers, which, of course, I don't know since I didn't make the game, but I don't know what they were thinking in having Connor especially calling this the third game, so a, a numbered game, not just another side mission. This is supposed to be something that's major and a, and a big turn for the series. They even had a new engine, Anvil 2.0, and uh, it's supposed to be technologically better, but it just didn't work, and I think they got too wrapped up in adding so much extra, extra stuff that they let the performance of the protagonist suffer, which is the strength of the series, in my opinion. I would totally agree. I mean, each game was as good as the protagonist. And uh, even Revelations, which was the third and final Ezio seri- uh, game, maybe started to show its, you know, look a little freight around the edges with, with how the engine looked, with the mechanics being recycled. Mm-hmm. But still, I thought, it delivered a really satisfying conclusion to Ezio's and Altair's stories and uh, set up the third game really nicely. Uh, did you play uh, Revelations? Yeah, I played them all. I really enjoyed Revelations. Okay, I did too. I, I thought that the Desmond sequences were a little weaker because of the fact that the, the, the game is framed around him being kind of stuck in the Animus. Yeah. Still satisfying, though. It revisited who he was and kind of helped redefine what made him so, like, gave him his conviction to fight this fight. So do you think that helped set up what happened to him in the third game? No, I don't actually don't think so. <laughs> I think that the way he takes that, the way he goes at the end is not very Desmond. Yeah. I think the way the character was performed and the way the character actually resonated with people is not how he was maybe necessarily originally written in the sense that there's a very clear deliberate effort to frame him as this guy who was raised in this really strange, you know, commune as an assassin in modern times, Mm -hmm. ran away from home, became a bartender and was basically running from all this until Abstergo found him and kidnapped him. And that's what sets off this whole chain of events. That's how he met Lucy Stillman. That's how he met Warren Vidic. That's how Ezio and Altair and all this stuff happened. Mm -hmm. But they take that and they kind of just assume that that's still Desmond. Like, he is still this guy who is running from something, and the game needs to end by him saying, I'm not going to run anymore. Yeah. And, like, I get that. I think it makes sense, because he's fully embraced the whole assassin thing. He actually goes out and assassinates people in a few of these games. Towards the end, you you kill some fools. The the scene with Warren Vidic in particular is pretty satisfying. The breaking into Abstergo part? Yeah. Desmond is a killing machine, which, you know, it was a little strange, but, you know, I like the, uh, the Deus Ex Machina of... Because he was in the Animus, he picked up their skills, right. blah, blah, blah. I'm cool with that. Whatever. Sci-fi is awesome. They take all that and then they put Desmond at the very end of the game in a sequence that is incredibly short and dissatisfying, in my opinion, mm-hmm. which is that you get out of the Animus, you realize, okay, that's the end of Connor's story, and we have the key. So they, in a cutscene, go grab the key. Uh, it was buried in the grave. And what was the key for? The key was to open the um, this gateway. So the ga- AC3 takes place... Um, Inside of this cave that I mentioned earlier that Hatham was trying to unlock at the very beginning of the game. Mm-hmm. This is uh, in upstate New York, which is where they've been going to for the last couple of games. 
which is where something was left by the first the first civilization some sort of like basically it's like the series mcguffin this thing that will like when they find it would fix everything and um right. prevent the sun from burning up the, the earth okay cool whatever don't really need to know exactly why that's a thing <laughs> But it coincides with the whole 2012 ending of the world thing, which, you know, again, maybe is a little funny playing this in 2013. Especially since I think the whole series is supposed to take place over, what, like a year or six months or something like that? I think it's six months or a year, yeah. At the end of the game, you get out of the Animus, you find the key, you're ready to unlock this thing finally with, like, hours to go before the world is emulated. So you walk through. As a character, you you walk for about 30 seconds, and you arrive at this pedestal, and triggers a cutscene. And the two first civilization characters who've been talking to you throughout, I think, is it... Um, Juno and Minerva. Juno and Minerva. They kind of give you a... They set up what looks like it's, it's going to be a choice. Uh, yeah. Can you kind of describe that? Yeah, so uh, one of them, I believe it's Juno, is talking about how Minerva, who's been leading you throughout all of Assassin's Creed Three. Uh, visions of her while you're putting in these power source cubes into these uh, consoles, I guess, to unlock other parts of this force field where once you have the key that Connor uh, had at the end of his story, like Nick said, you get out of the NMS, you use that key to unlock the gate to then go there. So she's been talking with you the whole time. Uh, there are emails through the uh, outside of the Animus that you get that she's kind of hacked the system, a lot of ones and zeros in the title, and um, gives you explanations. So you get this impression that she's benevolent, uh, trying to help you out to stop the end of the world. Well, when you get up there, there's this big orb, and you're told to just touch it, you being Desmond, that you're the one that can unlock this, and, you know, hey, everything will be a-okay. Then uh, Juno... I believe, shows up, and she's saying, no, don't do it, because Minerva actually wants to be released and bring chaos onto the world in a different way, like control humanity. And she questions Desmond's entire uh, arc, saying, well, weren't you doing this to preserve the freedom of humanity? It then says, does this other cut scene of, why don't you show Desmond, Juno, what would happen if you don't touch the uh, orb? And it shows the world, like the ring of fire, volcanoes being active, seismic activity, a bunch of people die, but not everyone. Uh, Desmond and his uh, his team members and his dad, they come out of the cave, and then in a very Jesus-like fashion, it shows this flash in the future of uh, Desmond becoming a prophet of sorts, and it's like seriously out of a Jesus Renaissance painting. It's kind of funny, but whatever. It is pretty funny. Yeah. Maybe not intentionally, but yeah. Yeah, I I think they're trying to be serious and like, oh my God, the power of Desmond if he does this thing. And like you're saying, it looked like a choice. So you see this cutscene and then it goes on where, okay, you're a prophet, but then you're immortal, so you die. And then being uh, how civilization works, your words as Desmond, the prophet, are then twisted in the future, and then people are killed if they don't believe in you. All this stuff. So you're kind of thrown all this at once at the end of the game going, oh, okay. And then you seem to wait for another cutscene, something of Minerva's side saying, well, this is what will happen if you help me and touch the orb, Desmond. And basically it's left as, you don't have a choice Desmond just sacrifices himself. That's that's really it. With him not seeming to be sure about it, I guess the way it's acted it is, because uh, it's Nolan North, as has been since the first game. Playing Desmond, he's very confident. He's like, no, all of you leave. I'll take care of this. So in the end, you touch the orb. You start glowing. Everything starts glowing, because, of course, it's a sci-fi game. 
uh, and then your hand burns up, and then you just fall backwards, seemingly dead. Just conk over, and then series end for that chapter. Uh, Minerva, after a cutscene and some credits, uh, it shows the world has this whole Aurora Borealis covered over the entire world. There's this news reporter during the credit scene, uh, kind of like over days, it, it makes it seem, talking about how their seismic activity in the Ring of Fire is working up almost like it didn't actually work. And then they cut to, and it's all subsiding, so Desmond saved the world, basically. But then, after everything's said and done, Minerva, like, walks over Desmond's body, says, your your part is done, now it's time for mine. They leave it there. It's then seeming that Minerva is now actually the bad guy, and you've unleashed her. Desmond, you are now dead, so what's going to happen? Hooray, next Assassin's Creed is coming out this year, is what uh, Ubisoft has already said. So they're already going to do another AC game by the end of this year on whatever platform with a new protagonist. Maybe a new Animus person, too, because Desmond seems to be croaked. Do you want to play that game? (laughs) I have no idea. I I feel, and it seems petty to say it, but I feel like I wasted a lot of time now. um, And I know I've had, not to get into that discussion, but... I was the one defending Mass Effect 3's ending because I said it's not the ending so much as it is the ride, but at least with Mass Effect 3, I still think that it was a way more solid narrative choice despite the weird ending compared to this one where I think Desmond should have always just been, uh, for me, just the vehicle for the actions of all these assassins in his history, his genetic history. I don't think he was that interesting as a person because... All the stuff you described of him growing up in the commune, being a bartender, running away. They didn't flesh that out enough until the last couple of games, and then it's almost forcing you to think, okay, he's going to be the next assassin in modern times, which I know people since the first Assassin's Creed were wanting. They wanted a game where it's New York 2013 and uh, Desmond's climbing over everything and killing people, but they didn't do that. They just used him as the vehicle, and it wasn't satisfying at all, and now he's dead. Or he's not. I don't know. It just seems like I kind of had the rug pulled out from under me with that ending. Yeah, I felt the same way too. And I'm actually coming from a different angle where I was after AC2 and I saw like the hidden video of like the world ending for the first civilization. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, so the sun is the enemy. I want Desmond to assassinate the sun. (laughs) I want to see where this crazy ass thing is going. And we might as well go like all out with it. So I like the idea of, you know, the residual animus effect giving him like the training to become an assassin. I I actually really thought that AC3 should have had a bigger emphasis on modern day assassinating. Yeah. If that's a word, it's not, but I really wanted to see Desmond playing as Desmond be like a focal point of the game, like an open city that you, or like at least a few good environments where you are playing as him and just go around assassinating fools. Cause they do go some exotic locations, but it's all uh, linear and you're stuck inside buildings each time. So if you're in Brazil or New York or whatever, you don't actually see the city. So it feels constrained. It feels really awkwardly constrained. Actually, there were times in both those missions where I went off the course just slightly and died as a result. And it was <laughs> really annoying. Regardless of that, let's say Desmond was just meant to be the vehicle for these other characters. There was nothing really connecting Desmond to Connor. No. Like when Connor's story resolves, it doesn't shed any new light on the situation. It's like, okay, Connor kind of failed, and that sucks because, you know, blame civilization. Mm -hmm. That was the resolution for that. And, like, as the ending of a long-running series for pretty much, like, I would say that and Mass Effect are, like, two of the biggest series to come out of this console generation that really define what could be done, what could be done with narrative, with gameplay, uh, how you iterate on a concept over time. 
they really missed the mark. It was a huge opportunity to do something really cool and profound, and they kind of just missed it. Don't you think that, in a way, Connor being in the third game was pointless? I, I don't dislike the setting. I think that that was still pretty cool to be involved with, and because how many games take place during the American Revolution. But it doesn't seem like he needed to be there, because, yes, in the other games, you're using Ezio or Altair to find pieces of the the Apple of Eden, and all this other stuff to prevent the world from ending, that still seems to be the, the overall goal. Connor was just, hey, I got this piece of the amulet, I buried it, and then, okay, we can find it now. It didn't have the same sort of dramatic turn that all the other games did. I think they should have made this game just Desmond. If if they really want to have Desmond be that important, they should have had him just forget the whole Animus crap, even though that's a series staple, and just be that modern assassin that a lot of people wanted, and I think that would have been a stronger story than having Connor shoehorned in there, not really making a difference, being an annoying protagonist, and then in the end, the resolution being, like you said, uh, really just lukewarm. I think that would have been great. And, like, what if they'd even flipped it and made it, like, Desmond is the main character of this game, but in order to find things he's looking for, he needs to go back and revisit memories from Altair, from Ezio, mm-hmm. maybe from another character too. And like make those like the side interstitial story missions like to kind of let people revisit those characters they really liked. Mm-hmm. But make the main focus modern times, Desmond, kind of, I don't know, they could have done so many cool things with it. And instead it's just like the same old kind of hub world that they've had for the last few games where it's like you talk to Sean, you talk to, um, what's her name? Ellie? No. <laughs> Is it? Hacker chick. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Her name. And then Desmond's father comes along for this one. Yeah. I like I like her and Sean a lot. But. Yeah, they they have good banter and the the supporting cast has been pretty strong. Is it Rebecca? Uh yes. Okay. Sure, we'll go with that. I just I don't know. I, I felt that this series, like you've said, it definitely has defined this last generation and has been this it came out left field years ago, but has been very strong. But just something about three uh, even technically speaking, it seems like it was a less, what's the word I should say, I guess the less put together and less competent game than even Revelations. It's a whole new engine, but it was so buggy yeah. and so stuffed with all this other side crap, like the hunting and all this. It just didn't fit. They tried to do several different things, several different ways, instead of focusing on the story and what the series is strongest with, the the protagonist and the journey of Desmond, they they added in all this other crap that had no uh, merit on the overall experience. Yeah, let's let's talk about some of the filler, because there was a lot of it. Yeah. I mean, you can look at, there was the whole ship aspect, there was the treasure hunting aspect, mm-hmm. and then there was the trading, the building up the homestead. Even the damn quick travel and the tunnels and the sewers. Quick travel? I never did any of that um, in the cities. That was so boring <laughs> yeah and then there was uh hunting and like the uh the groups you can do stuff for the like brawlers the hunters yeah all that stuff I, i'm sure we're missing some but like that just goes to show there's so much to keep track of yeah it's a game where you know it does a very good job of tracking how far you are towards 100 percent progress but it's also a game where if you get to 100 percent you have brain damage right. because this is not fun did you feel overwhelmed at the first quarter or half of the game yeah i actually felt kind of chided too for not wanting to do all of it right at that moment because like in previous games i was like okay this section of the city opened up i'm gonna find all the feathers collect all the things and buy all the shops and um 
start making bank. Mm-hmm. In this game, I felt like there was just so much overwhelmingly to do, and so much, all of it was just like not very satisfying to do that I just felt discouraged throughout. Right. I think the best example for me is the optional mission objectives that always popped up in every single story mission that were kind of arbitrary and more of just like a, hey, show off to your friends that you can do this tricky thing on this thing while trying to get through the mission. Mm-hmm. Like, don't touch the ground, or get to this point in a certain amount of time, or... Stay within a certain distance of your target. Yeah. They were pretty easy to ignore in the last game, but I felt like they were just so... Hackneying. Blatant. And yeah, the game made you feel really shitty when you missed <laughs> one of them, because it, it not only would like a red X appear, appear next to it and like constantly on your HUD saying like, hey, you missed this, you are going to like have this guilt weighing on your shoulders while you're trying to finish yeah, the mission. Maybe I'm reading too much. No, no, it, at the end, and then it tallies up your score for that um, sequence, and then you see uh, one of the circles is filled in, meaning you did all the optional objectives. So you feel pretty good, and then bam, big red X. Yeah. And then red le- It just it was really dumb. It's negative reinforcement. I mean, I don't know who designed that, but, like, what are you trying to communicate to the player there? Is this something that we should really feel that bad about, or should it just be this optional challenge for anyone who's looking for more, like, oh, I want to play this again? Yeah. I'm going to try to get 100% in this mission. Give me something trickier, because I can, I can do this one with my eyes closed. Right. I think they kind of missed the mark there. It's too bad. Yeah. And I feel that way about a lot of the side missions, too. Like, the, the Frontiersmen, Brawlers, all those things, where they're, where they're basically just, like, repetitive tasks. Like, go punch this person, or go look at this thing in the middle of the wilderness and solve this mystery, or hunt this animal that's a little bit harder to kill than the average animal or something. And we'll extend your playtime by making the uh, Frontier and Overworld just so large and not a lot of tra- fast travel options that... You have to spend 10 minutes to get somewhere you want to go. They, uh, th- There were very few fast travel points in the Frontier, which I thought was, a, by the end of the game, I felt like was just bullshit. Yeah. It was designed to keep people running around more and spending less time just jumping from point to point. And I understand the desire to get people immersed in the world one way or another. But when there's nothing to do between those things, like, I, I went through and collected everything first thing because that's how I play this game. I just wanted to climb the trees and find the stuff. And, like, I did it. That part was okay. I put on a podcast. I Spent a couple hours doing that. It was relaxing. Mm-hmm. But that left the world completely empty. Yeah. Because for me, I couldn't find any merit in the hunting or trading portions of the game. No. And it seemed so complicated to me. Same with the, the trading part and making money. I never had more than uh, forty forty five thousand dollars uh, $45,000 in my bank account as Connor. Whereas Ezio, I felt empowered to, like you had said buy real estate and shops and renovate and just get this constant uh, income and revenue generating every few minutes in the game. Uh, Maybe I'm just stupid, but I had to look at a YouTube video, the best way to figure out all of the wagon trading and um, trading aspects to make money in the damn game to even buy stuff for the ship or new upgrades and pouches. And the menu for that was to me so complex and not really clear. It, it wasn't navigable, and I just felt overwhelmed. I said, "Screw it!" I bought some stuff for the ship because I really did like the naval missions, and then that was it. I just never upgraded Connor like I did the other games, which is disappointing because I'm the same way. I want to collect all the stuff ahead of time, and it makes me feel good to upgrade my character. But this is the first time in a game I just said, "Fuck it." I I felt the same way too. I used the tomahawk. The entire game yeah. and the hidden blades, because I, I got a couple new weapons, but the interface makes it a real pain to keep them. Yeah, you have to hold on the Xbox, the right bumper, and then use while you're still holding the right bu- uh, bumper, the left trigger does your weapons, the right trigger your accessories, which is I don't know why they got away from the wheel that they did in the other four games, 
it did not make sense to me. No. It, it was more complex, and it paused the game and made you lose your flow during a fight compared to the, the old model. You know, actually, the way you said that made me think of it, this, but um, I feel like this is almost too, like, the antithesis of Assassin's Creed 2, where Assassin's Creed 2 took a pretty broken but really promising and ambitious game mm-hmm. and identified what worked well and what didn't, and it refined it and rebuilt the game into something that was really something special that just worked great mm-hmm. and in this it's almost like it was designed by committee where it was like okay assassin's creed games have to have these things we need to be able to put these banner features on the box this is what the game will have right. plus multiplayer which we haven't even <laughs> talked about but whatever and they they kind of brought everything over and added a few things and changed some things to fit with the setting but it, it's like nobody really was able to stop at any point and say wait what will this what impact will this have on the player experience? Is any of this actually any fun? And how the hell was this game developed for three years? They said they were starting to work on it right after uh, Assassin's Creed Three in 2009. I don't know. And it turned out, despite the technical issues, like you said, by committee design, I don't know why they completely changed the uh, flow and the outlook of the game because Assassin's Creed Two was so successful and even the side games after that, I, I just feel like they put a different team or something at Ubisoft Montreal on this. It did not make sense. This didn't feel like an Assassin's Creed game at all, and maybe they're the people that transitioned to making Watch Dogs, which, uh, for anybody who hasn't seen it, I honestly think that's going to be the kind of realized promise of that modern-day assassin type of uh, Desmond character that we all wanted. I think you're right. I mean, I just saw that Watch Dogs trailer when they unveiled the PS4 this week. And uh, I think you're right. Like, it, it looks at least like the spiritual successor to that kind of school of game design. And it's coming from the same studio. So, who knows? Now, what what would it have taken to actually make this game good? I hesitate to say good. It wasn't the worst game I've ever played, but in the pedigree of its other titles in that franchise, I think it was the worst. What what should they have done differently? I would go so far as to say this is a bad game. I would say it's a very bad game. <laughs> I think it's not because of any one individual component. I think it's worse than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. I think Ubisoft feels a real pressure to make this their flagship AAA franchise. They need to compete with the Call of Duty, and they need to compete with Madden. They need to compete with Zelda. They need to compete with all these other banner series. I think the thing that they may have underestimated is how much clout this series already has. Mm -hmm. And I think people have a lot of love for it. And I I worry that that mistake on their part, maybe I'm imagining it, but that perception may have really guided the way this game was built. It was built to have features. It was built to have a 20-plus hour campaign. It was built to have a full multiplayer suite, which was fine, by the way. I played a fair bit of it. And it was built to have a vast-reaching open world that's larger than anything geographically in any previous game. That's how GTA always does it, too. Every GTA game has to have a bigger open world map for you to explore for some reason or another. I think that what the game needed was focus. They needed to be not afraid to take out some old features, maybe get rid of the whole Assassin's Guild thing altogether, because it felt stapled on. Mm -hmm. The characters were weak, the management of them was weak. Maybe get rid of the the commerce thing. Maybe you don't even need money. What What makes this game really fun? And that's like traversal, it's the story, it's being a part of history, it's seeing accurately realized cool stuff from like ancient times, and it's the good stealth missions where you are actually like sneaking in and assassinating people, and like that was really fun. And you barely get to do that in this game. The showdown with Charles Lee at the end is just stupid. You chase him, (laughs) you stab him, and then you go like chase him again get a drink with him and then stab him in the neck and walk away. It's yeah, like... it seemed like a um, a film, and uh, not in a good way. It seemed 
like something that this would be the Assassin's Creed, the movie, how it played out where the plot is convoluted. It doesn't make sense. It's trying way too hard. And then you have some stupid dramatic turn at the end where, you know, you share a drink with your brother who you know you have to kill but there's a mutual respect at the end as it comes to a close which makes no sense because yeah. <laughs> connor has no respect for charles Lee. yeah that didn't make me mad i don't get mad at that sort of thing but i just had to shake my head and go all right that's fine if you think that that's your dramatic close and that sums it all up and that greasy guy you know was really worth the whole game chasing him hell i would have rather they uh, the DLC that they came out recently, The Tyranny of King Washington, yeah, which was an alternate history take. I haven't played it, but um, it's supposed to be an alternate history look at if George Washington actually just said, hey, fuck it, I'm going to become the king of America, so suck it. And <laughs> that would be a way cooler general plot for the game, even though I know it's based on fact and stuff. But having that sort of uh, that character, even making Haytham your dad being the entire antagonist of the whole game would have been stronger than just this guy that Haytham said was the next generation or something like that. And I caught that towards the end and that didn't make sense. They never explained it that I remember why he was so important. And it just, it fell flat in so many places. And it's sad because the first game, as many uh, gameplay issues as it originally had, which I didn't mind. I thought it was still great, but yeah, me too. it was intelligent. It tried to, in that beginning of the generation, not pander to the Call of Duty players, like you've mentioned. It was almost an underdog of, hey, here's an action game that has parkour stuff like Prince of Persia, which was really successful when this came out. But, hey, we're going to add some history in there and some kind of perhaps controversial religious aspects of Middle East in the uh, medieval era. But it worked because it didn't make you feel dumb for playing it you almost felt smart and accomplished in going well hey i learned something about history and this is a different take than just military shooter number 407 right then over the course of the franchise it kept doing that it kept making you feel like a smart player a cultured person even though it's still just a video game and you're killing people then assassin's creed 3 it made you feel dumb yeah. um, with all this. <laughs> I felt stupid playing it. Me too. Which is sad. For many reasons. Yeah, I love American history, but I don't think it actually treated the source material with respect, and it didn't treat its own franchise with respect either. Couldn't have said it better. Is there anything uh, in particular you think they could have changed to just make this work better? Is it just a better execution on the original formula, or is there anything that really stands out to you? I think what would have satisfied me... Um, is a more focus on the historical characters towards the beginning of the game. They name drop the crap out of people. You've got Ben Franklin to George Washington to um, even mentioned in there. I know it was a DLC exclusive pre-order thing for the PS3, but um, Benedict Arnold. Yeah, Benedict Arnold. Yeah, just all these revolutionary characters. They're thrown at you in the beginning to establish that. Hey, if in case you forgot, this is America of the 1700s. So have fun. And then by the middle of the game, that's all gone. There's a couple more battles that you participate in, like you said way earlier, to make Connor seem important there. But then by the end, it's just, I killed my dad, I gotta kill Charles, and then it's it's over. It never really talks about the end result of the war. Um, maybe some of the epilogue stuff does. I never got to that. It doesn't really. Yeah, and that's that's unfortunate because aspects of... Assassin's Creed 2 and 1, yes, it didn't focus on the change and how the political stuff um, changed the world, but it kind of did. It made you feel more involved yeah. in that pre 
uh, modern era, you felt a part of that. Um, if they had done that with this game, it would have been more successful. And I think if they cut out all of the fat, they trimmed the hunting aspect. They got rid of, honestly, everything but the naval battles because those were fun. Those That, for me, was probably the most fun I've had in a side mission minigame type thing in a very long time because it was done so well. But it almost feels like they put their resources into that and not the rest of the damn game. Yeah. If they had cut out everything but that single side mission aspect and just focused on the history and why Connor actually matters, or even, like I said before, drop all of that and just go all modern and have it all about Desmond being an assassin in the modern era, even if he does sacrifice himself, you would probably care more about that if you've been playing the entire game as him and watching him develop. Absolutely. All right, well, I feel like we've pretty much torn this thing apart, not out of malice, but because we care. (laughs) I promise. (laughs) Yeah, we promise. Yeah. That means a lot. So uh, is there anything else you want to say before we uh, call this thing uh, done? All I can say is that I am concerned for the next iteration of Assassin's Creed. There is going to be another one this year with a new protagonist, not Connor. I don't know if that means there will be a side game with Connor, but it does seem like his story was wrapped up by the end of this one. So that just almost tells me that they have kind of abandoned this game in general, too, that there wasn't enough great source material to warrant more side games like Revelations and Brotherhood. Or if you want to see the positive aspect, uh, maybe they thought that it was just so well told they, they can now transition to another story. But it does leave me concerned about the future and what that game will be, if it will actually uh, reinvent itself or if it's just adds more shit on top of the stuff that was in Assassin's Creed 3 and becomes more bloated as a result. Yeah, I would agree with that. I guess I would just end by saying that this leaves me pretty bummed out about the, the nature of what a AAA franchise really means these days. Because I see I see similar trends in a lot of different games, and uh, I feel like Assassin's Creed 3 may have been the biggest tanking of a series I've seen in a long time. I don't know. It bums me out. I really love this game. I really loved rooting for the original Assassin's Creed in the face of all its critics, and I, I felt vindicated when I saw the series really kind of grow into this awesome, well-realized thing. And uh, it did things differently. It treated us like we were smart people, which, again, you mentioned, I totally agree. That was, like, a big part of the appeal for me was the whole historical fiction and the context and the research that was very much laid bare for the player. I don't know. It sucks. It's a real bummer. I hope that, like, if they make another one, it's not as bad. I don't know how they're going to do that, though, so... Yes, we'll see. Thanks again, Aaron, for uh, joining me to uh, talk about this game. Thanks for listening, and look forward to whatever it is we're talking about next. Thank you, everyone. Peace out. The Silicon Sasquatch Podcast is a production of SiliconSasquatch.com. Our panelists for this episode were Nick Cummings and Aaron Thayer. Our producer is Spencer Tordoff, and our site editors are Doug Bonham and Tyler Martin. If you like what you've heard, please consider subscribing to us on iTunes, and stay tuned for more new content coming to you soon.